0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Byrd. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. What should pastors do to help nominal Christians in their congregations? More and more, Christians are going to church, but not actually committing themselves to serving the church. The Spin team has some thoughts on that. Keep listening at the end of the podcast, where we'll tell you how to download a free MP3 from the Alliance.
1: Carl is back. Welcome back, Carl. How's it going?
2: It's great. I'd rather be in New Zealand, but I guess I do have uh-huh. to earn some money occasionally, so I've had to come <laughs> back to the United States.
1: Well, um, you came back to a little more than you were expecting, Um The madwoman and I got an interesting email. It turns out you were the victim of a practical joke.
2: Yeah, I was mistaken for Harry Styles. I'm sure that
1: happens a lot. It happens a lot. I think it's
2: the similarity (laughs) in our hairdos uh, that that really uh, Mm -hmm. causes it. But yes, I came back to a one of those typical phone messages from one of my giggling 13 year old fans (laughs) wanted me to call her back and you know give her my autograph etc etc and what was what was the last name of one of those giggling fans carl i I believe it was bird um, (laughs) as as soon as the name harry stars was mentioned i narrowed it down to two potential women who could be the origin of this. One of them is the mad woman in the attic, yeah. and uh, the other one, of course, is the diva. Yeah. So I sent them an email, and, and within half an hour, I think we'd, we'd located the guilty person within <laughs> the larger yes. bird cage, if I could put yeah. it that way.
3: But I think we've stumbled upon something as a potential money-making scheme for you, Carl. You could put it out there that you will – Uh, personally make phone calls to people's daughters on their birthdays. Yeah. Like, you know, 15th birthday. You'll call as
2: Harry Styles. yeah. I could be like a a Harry Styles tribute band but just specializing in phone calls, not the visual stuff. Yeah. Well, clearly not.
3: I think that's a a great idea. It was
1: certainly a source of entertainment for my daughter and her friends to to listen to your voicemail message. (laughs) <laughs> and pretend like they were talking to Harry Styles. Love it. It's it's
2: even better than talking to Harry Styles. I <laughs> yes. Anyway, the thinking yeah, they, man's they, Harry Styles.
3: They didn't the get th-
1: to get to hear the response of what is this rubbish? <laughs>
3: <laughs> the Harry Styles, the unthinking
2: thirteen-year-old girls, Harry Styles. Maybe that's a better way. To put it. <laughs> well, so, Carl, what do you have for us uh, beyond your your celebrity as a fake Harry Styles? Well, here's a, a little anecdote that I thought might trigger an interesting discussion. It um, must be probably nine or ten years ago now, I was visiting a friend down south, pastor of a big church, maybe 2,000 people. And you know, that's unlikely to be an experience which I ever have. So mm-hmm. I was interested in, you know, what, what, what sort of the issues that, that one wrestles with as the pastor of a church of 2,000 people? And I said to my friend, what are the big problems? What is it that... Keeps you awake at night. And his comment was, the thing that most worries me about my congregation, he says, is that it's 2,000 strong and I worry that 1,500 of them aren't actually Christians. Mm. Yeah. And that struck me as, one, a problem, as I say, I'm never likely to face myself because that's a, a bigger church than I will ever pastor. But secondly, it struck me as a, in some ways, a real indictment of our Christian culture where that kind of situation could, could come about. There are numerous reasons for it, of course. I think down south, going to church has had a certain cultural cachet that it no longer has north of the Mason-Dixon line. So there have been benefits to going to church, which are very clear but very non-spiritual. I think there's also been a, 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 a bigger church-going culture down south. Uh, The question for me, though, is how would you address that? And Albeit I can say, well, that's not my problem. I don't pastor a church like that. I think the issue of nominalism, the issue of fellow travelers, the issue of people who are just along for the ride in church is a, well, it's a significant one. It's one that all pastors have to address at some level. Right,
3: right. I remember when I was – in, in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, a frequent discussion uh, among pastors and leadership in the denomination was the disparity between attendance and actual um, uh, membership roles. And so it wasn't unusual. I, I grew up in a megachurch, and it wasn't unusual for a church that, say, had 2,000 in attendance or three or four or 5,000 in attendance to actually have double that on their membership roles. Mm. And so it was nothing unusual. Uh, for a church to have twice as many on the rolls as they were actually having in attendance. And so a lot of serious conversations had been and I think still are going on among Southern Baptist pastors about that very reality. How many people have we received into membership who are either nominal Christians or, more honestly, unregenerate to begin with?
1: Hmm. So it kind of leads to the question then of, what does a healthy Christian look like? Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. You know, Carl's example uh, th- that he just kind of gave us of, of a pastor concerned about that many in his church, first of all, I think it needs to begin with uh, pastoral uh, leadership and, and what are, how are pastors feeding mm-hmm. um, the flock? You know, I, I love Jesus's uh, reinstitution, if you like, of, of the Apostle Peter. Do you love me? Well, feed my sheep. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it doesn't help when large megachurches, And mega influential pastors, like for instance Andy Stanley, uh, instruct pastors to stop preaching systematically from the Bible because it doesn't quote unquote work. Well, I don't know how he measures success, um, but Jesus would measure success through faithfully feeding uh, the flock from, from the Word of God. And so I would begin, first of all, with the responsibilities of the shepherd are we feeding the flock well? Um, are we giving them systematic instruction from god's Word both from pulpit and providing other opportunities for them to be uh, fed well
1: that's something i've been thinking a lot about in my writing lately is um, having a proper understanding of the ministry because um, you know some of these big churches especially have all these programs and they're all called ministries right and so you could be going to church and be active in um, you know, ministry to the elderly or women's ministry or um, children's ministry, but um, do you even understand the ministry that Christ has given us, the ministers of the church, of the word and spirit? Is that even, I mean, word and sacrament, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. through the spirit. Mm -hmm. So, I think we downplay that in a lot of ways. And people, it becomes about what we're doing instead right. of about what we're actually receiving from God.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, there's very little room for discussions about the ordinary means of grace mm-hmm. in a lot of churches. I never even heard that term until you know, probably six years
2: ago. Until you met uh, me, Todd. I think until the- I met Todd. <laughs> I take full oh, no. credit for anything that's good in this man's ministry. Well, that's right. <laughs> but I think, you know, as pastors, we
3: do <clears throat> grieve over the fact that we know that, 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 um, uh, that, that wheat and tares grow together. Um, we have to be very careful in dealing with that lest we uh, do damage to the wheat. But um, we know that we're going to have in our congregations men and women who are far
2: from Christ. And I think as well, if you don't preach commitment, you don't get commitment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been very interesting to me that the people who have objected to my preaching as legalism mm. are generally the people who just turn up to church and then go away again. Right. And, I, you know, without wanting to justify myself too much, I'm going to justify myself a little bit no, here. And I say, you know, when you preach commitment to people like that, they don't like it no. because it, it pinches. But yeah. you've got to do it because if you don't preach commitment – you won't get commitment. Yeah. Well, Another side it. of it as well on the on the big church front is just some churches like machines. Yeah. Everything can be done by somebody who's paid to do it. And therefore, you don't need buy-in from the congregation. You don't need volunteer musicians because you've got a paid musician. Yeah. You don't need volunteers to clean the church after Sunday because you pay cleaners during the week to do that. And if people aren't buying into the humble Ministries of the church then they 're generally not buying into the church yeah well we 've turned them into customers is what
3: we 've done yeah. at, that, at that at that stage then we 've yeah. just turned them into customers, and if you don 't like this style of music, well, we have five other types of worship services for you to choose from and I, I, I love what you said about preaching commitment. We have to preach the imperatives of scripture and not only the indicatives. I think we, uh, particularly in reformed circles, have gone through something in recent years where we were justifiably so excited about preaching Christ from all of Scripture. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, but what's happened in some circles is, is, is a diminishing of the necessity of continuing to preach the imperatives. Preaching the imperatives of Scripture is not legalism. Now, I guess it can be uh, obviously can be done legalistically, but the imperatives of Scripture are there to be preached and proclaimed as a means that God uses to sanctify his people. And if, the, and if the point of every sermon in your church is see how this points to Christ, if that's, if that's the, the only thing you're doing every Sunday as a, as a pastor, then I would say you're not preaching well.
2: Yeah, we heard an outstanding sermon last night at Cornerstone. My friend uh, John Master from Cairn University is preaching for me, and uh, he preached on 1 Thessalonians five twelve and following. And just listen to these words. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And then it, the culminating statement is, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And yeah. John made this beautiful point where he said, you know, people are always looking for the will of God. You know, what sort of socks should I buy? What tie should I wear? <laughs> where should the I will park? of God is you, you do these things. Right. The will of God is not, you know, we're not to search for the will of God in like the, the, the micromanagement of life. The will of yeah. God is these big things. And that's how Paul ends his letter. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Right. Do this, do this, do this. Right. And I think it's, it's a note we've... We've lost in our fear of legalism. Mm-hmm. We have lost that note, that Pauline note of commitment. Yeah. And guess what? That means we have churches where there are 2,000 people and 1,500 of them. There's no evidence they're Christians anyway, other right. than the fact they turn up on a Sunday. Right.
1: Well, you know, you and, talked about the defensiveness of the congregants to hear you preach commitment. And I think another thing that comes alongside of that, which is such a privilege and, you know, what Christians have and nobody else does, is. Is that repentance preaching repentance, because you know then that does make us recognize that we are fully dependent on Christ in our faith, for everything, and then we can move beyond our own defensiveness and and we do see that this grace doesn't only justify us but that it also empowers us for good works mm-hmm. and for obedience, and so that's right. exciting to right. to know that okay, when I hear that list, I think so many ways in which I failed. But we have repentance before us and we have Christ who's perfectly done it and whom we are supposed to follow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's exciting.
3: Right, right. You know, it's interesting as I, as I, as I listened to you all, one of the thoughts I had, Carl, even as you were reading that, that text of Scripture, was there's too many preachers in our circles who are willing to take a text like that, that you just read, and say, now, because we are so radically broken we can't do those things but that's okay because christ has now yeah christ has perfectly embodied all of that let's let's preach that but those imperatives paul paul meant for us to obey those things yeah
1: now we we can't
3: exactly put some at the end of the the Obeyed right
1: now we can obey those things and that's a big thing too is is we're new creations Mm -hmm. in christ Christ we're not the old man anymore
3: right exactly because the question is, has Christ only broken the curse of sin, or has he broken the power of sin as well? Mm-hmm. And there's too much preaching that says he's broken the curse of sin, but he's done little to nothing about the power of sin. Yeah. And that's wrong. I, I was preaching yesterday morning on First John from 1 John chapter 4 that we love one another, and in that portion of the text, John refers to Jesus being put forth as a propitiation for our sins as the ultimate... Um, uh, illustration of God's love. And so you preach propitiation there. But, you, but he's still saying, now you do this. Yeah. You love one another. It's a command to us, not just to hear and say, well, see, he's commanding us to love one another so that we'll know that we can't. <laughs> he's commanding us to love one another because we're supposed to do that.
1: I've been listening to G.K. Beale's uh, biblical theology from his class over at Westminster um, through iTunes U Mm-hmm. And he, he has such a theme going through there that our sanctification is eschatological. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I've just been listening to it so much that that's what I'm hearing and what you're saying here, too. It's just that we look forward to what we are becoming, mm-hmm. and then that helps us then right. um, as you know, to obey Christ easier, actually, yeah. and then yeah. to go to him in repentance when we don't and then pick ourselves back up again and, mm-hmm. and encourage one another in the church body, and exhort one another in the church body. Right, yeah. But it's not just looking back at what Christ done; that's very important, for sure. sure. But um, this this looking ahead of what we actually are becoming, what we yeah. are being transformed into.
2: Right, yeah. Well, and I think going back to First Thessalonians five, one of the things John did so well last so night is he brings out the fact that. As you move through First Thessalonians five, the context for what Paul's saying appears to be primarily that of public worship, because he goes straight on to say, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast what is good. That's a context of worship that's mm. being talked about there. So again it brings us back to that corporate context where which is the primary location, I think, for, for cultivating mm-hmm. commitment and cultivating sanctification. That's Takes good.
1: fitness. I keep saying that.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> plug for the book. We you have never, to condition
0: ourselves. Never miss a commercial
1: ourselves.
2: opportunity. Absolutely. Got to admire this girl. She's, she's a good salesperson. <laughs> I just want you to know I'm not going to plug my book. I'm not going to make a big deal about it.
1: We'll so. keep it a secret.
2: <laughs> I'd stick with the thumb pictures if I were you, Tartus. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably a topic for another day, but one sort of thing is we're drawing things to a close. One, one further comment is I do think that nominalism, is likely to become less of a problem in the future than it is at the moment. Now, that's not to say it won't be a problem, because clearly Paul addresses these things in the first century, and in the first century, it was not a particularly comfortable time to be a Christian. Uh, certainly wasn't a socially prestigious thing to be. It's been, for many, many decades, it's been pretty comfortable to be a Christian in North America, and it's carried a certain social uh, kudos with it. I remember that the person, the pastor I was talking about actually said to me that his concern was many of his congregants turned up in order to do deals, business deals over coffee after the service. I do think those days are coming to an end when going to a conservative church uh, is the equivalent in the world's eyes of going to a Ku Klux Klan rally. Uh Nominalism is going to be less of a problem. Not that it'll disappear completely, but I do think it will be less of a problem. The Lord is bringing to bear on the church in the United States, not persecution, but he's going to make it a little bit more expensive in a whole variety of ways to be a faithful believer. And that I think will will help to cut out some of the, the nominal Christians in our ranks. Yeah. Churches and, and
3: Christians are going to have to declare themselves on some of these issues. They're not going to be given the luxury yeah. of being vague anymore.
2: No. No. I mean, this idea that uh, we have to be missional, which roughly right. translates half the time as we have to either keep our mouths shut or speak out of both sides of those mouths right. if we do open them, those missional days are going. Right. Uh, this is not a time for being missional in that sense. This is a right. time for standing clearly on the Word of God. Absolutely. yeah
1: it's interesting to think about that because uh with that study that Christian Smith did, where he coined the term moralistic therapeutic deism for what most people who say they are Christians actually are, mm-hmm. um, i don't think that Christian is going to be associated in that way as much anymore as this broad moral you know, g- good, positive moral category, mm-hmm. that there's this God that exists, that he is good, and that I do good as kind of teamwork with him. Mm-hmm. But um, as you're saying, uh, Christianity is going to carry with it some more of these um, not-so-pretty pictures of um, people who don't like homosexuals or,
2: mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yeah, we're not going to be
2: conservative a... Christianity is going to go, you know. It's that's not gonna... the world's
1: yeah. morality.
3: no. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to be able to escape the branding of, of bigotry. And so, you know, I mean, to my right. to my more progressive brothers in the PCA, I, you know, I would just say at some point, uh, your city where homosexuality tends to be very, very popular, um, you're not going to be allowed the luxury of the vagueness that you've practiced mm-hmm. up to this point. At some point, you're either going to have to say, I can't be in the PCA anymore or eventually say, yeah, I do believe what my denomination professes. But.
2: And you are going to find that missional cultural relevance is a very cruel mistress. Mm. Absolutely. Tony Campolo is a case in point. When Campolo changed his mind recently on homosexuality, if you read the gay web pages on that, mm. their response was, we need you to apologize because you should not have never have held that opinion in the first place. It's exactly. not enough to change your mind. It's not enough to water down what you're saying. You need to Repent. For ever having criticised us in the first place, so I, you know, the the spineless missional guys out there, man, they're on a hiding to nothing. Mm. They're on an absolute hiding to nothing. Yeah,
3: Yeah. help, uh, help, you know, pastors, help your men and women in your church to stand faithfully. Yes, preach to them from the whole Word of God. Confront the popular sins in your congregation. Um, Nominalism, by God's grace, hopefully, is on its way out.
2: Have the guts to stand up against your culture.
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Great place to end.
2: Yeah. Well, of course, and I don't have to worry because if my uh, income as a, a religious professional dries up, I'm going to be able to be doing these uh, Harry styles
3: yes.
1: styles. yes. I know. Uh,
2: yes. I mean, so um, moms and
3: dads, make, your, make yep. your daughter's birthday special. Have yeah. them get a call from Carl
2: Truman as Harry Styles. It would make their day. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> Uh, Fifty bucks gets you a, a one-minute phone call from Harry Styles. Contact the Alliance. Bob Brady and the Mad Woman will set you up with a time. Maybe should like, get
1: some proceeds for phone uh, yeah.
2: Make idea. make your young daughter's day. Have yep. me phone and pretend to be Harry Styles. So, anyway, on that uh, positive note, we will uh, we'll end and we'll look forward to being with you next time uh, on Modification of Spin.
0: Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Make sure to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to download Christ's Prayer for the Church. By James Boyce. Next episode, the gang fills the silence with talk about, well, silence. It's all the things that they're silent on, basically. And I thought that's a pretty
3: good way to identify what is a problem in some, interestingly enough, confessional churches, where there seems to be silence or maybe an increasing silence on issues that we would identify as very important.
1: This ambiguity is very subtle, it's very manipulative, but it's also like agreeable.
2: You need to be calling out the fierce wolves and not to do that, even if, you know, you present a lovely picture of, of, of fluffy furry kittens and injured puppies being
0: nursed back to life, you've still got to call out the wolves. Hear more next time on Mortification of Spin. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit Mortificationofspin.org to download your free audio message.
1: Oh my God. Okay, I cannot believe this happening. This is actually happening. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. Okay, Harry Styles, please, 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 please. I love you. Please, 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 Come to my house. Okay, my address. Okay, everything just come to my
0: house. Please, I have to steal you. Bye. Love you.
1: To replay this message, press 1. To delete, press 7. To save, press 9. For more options, press 6.